So the question I want to start out this morning with is this. How would you label you? What I mean by that is this. If somebody asked you, how would you describe yourself, what would you say? So for some of us, we would respond with like a relationship. Like maybe you'd say, well, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a brother, sister, son, daughter, grandparent, and so on. Maybe it would primarily be relationally. For others of us, it would be an occupation, kind of what we do. Maybe you would say, well, I'm a warehouse worker. Maybe if you're a teenager, you would say, I'm a student. Maybe you'd say, I'm a salesperson, doctor, whatever. You would respond with your occupation. Or maybe you would take that in a slightly different direction and respond with a hobby. Maybe you'd say, I'm a hunter, I'm a fisher. And by the way, I hunt and fish too. I just do it at Walmart. Um, It's easier Maybe you'd say you're a, you're a shopper. Just, just You would respond with a hobby. Maybe you'd say, I'm a video game player to the glory of God. And I have beat all Mario levels and Donkey Kong levels, and I'm not even sure what games they have now because I don't play video games anymore. But maybe that's the way you would describe yourself. Or maybe you would even describe yourself from like certain accomplishments in terms of what you do. Maybe if you're a student, you would say, well, I got these grades, or in your job, you would say, well, I got to this particular level, I'm a vice president, or I make this kind of salary. Or again, with a hobby, maybe you would say, well, I killed a 5,000-point buck. I'm not even sure if that's a thing because I hunt at Walmart again. But maybe that's how you would label yourself, something along the lines of what you do. Or maybe if you went maybe a little bit deeper, maybe you would define yourself by your personality. Maybe you'd say, well, I'm an introvert, which is what I am. I'm a little shy. Or maybe you'd say, well, I'm an extrovert like Pastor Mark, and I can sit down next to a cardboard box on a park bench, and within five minutes, I know their name, their life story. I've shared the gospel with them, and I'm having coffee with them next week and a barbecue at their house because I'm just a people person. Mark is my emotional support extrovert. That's why he's, another, that's why he's one of our other pastors here. So let me tell you a question just a little deeper. Like when we think of how we would describe ourselves, many times it's through very external characteristics, things that are pretty observable. But let me ask the question in a slightly different way. How would you really label you? Or you could think about it like this. How do you feel about you? How would you describe yourself underneath the surface of things that people can observe? How would you define yourself? Maybe you define yourself kind of like this. Maybe, maybe you define yourself with, with a label like this, and you'd say, man, I've got, I've got great relationships and loving relationships and good parents and a good spouse. And, but, man, I honestly, I, I kind of struggle with just feeling very, very unlovable. Maybe you feel that way. Or maybe you'd say something like this. Maybe you'd say, man, I'm, I'm honestly pretty effective and I'm pretty successful in what I do, whatever it is. But the idea that just constantly chases at me is an idea like this that, man, I just, I don't have what it takes. Maybe you'd feel something like this. Maybe, maybe you're like me and you're, you're an introvert and you're like, man, I've, I've got some friends, but I'm not naturally really that good with people. And so the thing that I struggle with is, man, maybe... Maybe you just feel kind of kind of unlikable. Or maybe maybe something like this. Maybe um 
Maybe, again, you're, you're pretty effective. You've got a good job. Maybe you've got some accomplishments. But man, the label that just dogs you and chases you and you carry around is, um, is failure. I feel like a failure. Or how about this? Let's try one more. Maybe you feel like, even though on the outside, from everybody else's perspective, it looks like you're doing a good job at whatever it is, man, you just feel incredibly, incredibly inadequate. How would you really label you at the end of the day, beneath the surface level, beneath the external characteristics, what would you say about you? Because the truth is this, whether you're here and you've been following Jesus for years or whether you're here and you're just starting to examine the claims of Jesus, man, we all struggle with labels. We all struggle with, with different feelings like this. And this, the, none of these may be your labels. In full transparency, these are the ones that I've tended to have to battle throughout my life. But we all carry them. And it's actually one of the primary things that keeps us from living the too good to miss life that Jesus wants us to live because reality is this. You'll always live according to who you think you are. You'll always live according to your identity. And it often leads us to stopping short of where God wants us to be. In fact, we see this in the story of what's called the parable of the prodigal son, which is a story Jesus tells and in the story, the young man who rebels against his father, runs away, does whatever he wants for a season, that represents us as people, and the father represents God. So this young man, he takes some of his father's resources that his father gives him. He runs away, he squanders it all, he hits rock bottom, he has a wake-up call. He comes back to his father, but in the presence of his father, his first words to his dad are this in Luke 15, 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But then he says this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And maybe that's what you're feeling today. Just I'm incredibly, incredibly unworthy. I'm not cut out for this. I'm certain there were other labels that the prodigal son had attached to that. We know from a comment that his brother made that he certainly spent some of those resources on prostitutes. Maybe the label this young man carried around was, man, I'm, I'm promiscuous. He obviously wasted all the money, so maybe he thought, man, I'm a loser. I just suck at life. He had been feeding pigs, which for Jews was unclean, which meant you couldn't touch people and you couldn't go to the temple to worship God. So, so maybe his thought was, man, I'm dirty. I'm damaged goods. I'm messed up. I'm broken. I'm pitiful. Kind of pathetic. I don't know what your label is this morning, but every single one of us wrestles with labels of some kind. But see, guys, the beautiful truth this morning is this. Following Jesus certainly means heaven for eternity instead of hell. Following Jesus certainly means eternal life that starts right now. But guys, part of that eternal life is Jesus breaking you free from the labels that define you. 
and removing those labels from you and giving you a brand new identity. So this morning, I want us to see through the story of the prodigal son what it looks like to step out of the labels of your past or maybe even your present and step into the life and the identity that Jesus has for you. So if that's going to happen, the first thing that has to happen is this. You have to realize how the Father feels towards you and listen to what the Father says about you. Feelings matter, right? Let's talk about the feelings part of it first. And I want you to rewind, or maybe if you're a teenager, this is your reality right now. Back to like the moment before you actually started dating, maybe your husband, your wife, or your first date, or whatever. Before that moment, before you were officially in a relationship, it was kind of a shell game, right? Because you're kind of flirting and that sort of thing. And the question is always, but how do they really feel about me? And when you were in like middle school, you like tried to send out feelers through your friends, right? To kind of like subtly, but not so subtly be like, hey, so no reason for asking, but how do you feel about my buddy? And it was really complicated if unbeknownst to you, your buddy also had feelings for that person. That could get a little awkward, right? But you tried to find out feelings, right? Because it's like, well, if they like me, I'll ask them out. If they don't like me, well, then I'm just going to be just kind of crushed and in despair. And, and I hold out hope for five years and just never actually win with them. Hopefully you didn't do that. Some would say, that's sweet. Uh, might be kind of creepy. Right, right, maybe, just maybe. But don't we have the same tension with God, guys? Don't we often wonder, man, how does God actually feel about me? Because maybe you've heard God loves you, God loves you. You might be, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but does he actually like me? When God looks at me, does he say, well, I love you even though huh, you're kind of trash? Or does he actually like me? How does he feel towards me? So again, remember the father in this story represents God. And so I want you to see over the next few verses, just how the father feels towards his son and therefore how God feels about you. So Luke chapter 15, 20, the son is running back to his father and it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. So here's how we see the father. Remember, the son on the front end of this completely disowned his dad. He basically, the reason he got some money from his dad is he told his dad, Dad, it'd be better for me if you were dead. He didn't say it in as many words, but he said, hey, go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance. In other words, if you would die and I could get my money, it'd be a lot better for me. And the father gives it to him. You would think the dad would disown his kid. You would think the dad, when the son came back, would be like, I'm going to teach you a lesson, boy. And isn't that how we feel like God feels about us? Like maybe you're fairly new to a church gathering or it's actually a struggle for you to come in here because you're like, well, man, I'm concerned that if I step anywhere near God, he's going to pop me on the head. I'm concerned if I kneel in front of God that he's going to kick me in the face because, man, like, I don't think he's really going to like me. 
But in this story, guys, we see the father who represents God. When he sees his son who has not only rebelled against him, not only disowned him, not only gone and ended up at rock bottom for a Jew, which was feeding pigs, so now the son is unclean, which meant he shouldn't be touched by other Jews, and he couldn't come anywhere near God. If there was anybody who deserved a lecture, it was this kid. But it says when the father saw him, he was filled with compassion towards him. Guys, I don't know what label you carry around, but here's what you need to understand this morning. When God looks at you, he's not sternly looking at you to give you a lecture. He's filled with compassion for you. He's warm-hearted to you. He's not saying, kid, stop, clean up your mess, and then you can come here. Uh Uh-uh. He actually runs towards you. And the father does something in this story that would have been incomprehensible to this first century Jewish audience. First off, he runs, which Jewish men did not do. That, was a, that would have like been a lack of dignity. Like you didn't run, it was undignified. But the father runs to the boy, losing his dignity to go and pursue his son. Guys, Jesus did the same thing for us. when he came to this earth and allowed sinful people to beat him and nail him to a cross while he hung bleeding and naked, losing every ounce of dignity he had so that he could come to us. And then not only that, guys, we see the father wrap his arms around his son, which which would have made the audience gasp because, again, this son is ceremonially unclean, and if you were clean, you didn't put your hands on somebody unclean because you'd become unclean by extension. And yet the father wraps his arms around his son, gives him a big bear hug, and guys, God does the same thing for us. No matter how messy you are, no matter how broken you are, God doesn't say keep your distance. No, he sent his son to pursue us in the middle of our mess, and he pursues you and I in the middle of our mess, and he wraps his arms around us and says, hey, welcome home. But then there's something else that's really significant about this, about the father giving his son a hug. According to Jewish law, a rebellious son should be stoned to death by the entire community. And so by the father running to his son, what he would have been saying is, for you to be stoned, it's going to have to happen on me. And the father wraps up his son to protect him and to take any rocks that are thrown at the stone on himself, to take, don't miss this, the punishment that the son rightly deserved on himself. And you know what? It's exactly what Jesus did for us. Because we sinned, we walked away from God, we ran from God. Scripture says the penalty for sin is death. Well, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then you know what he did? He died. He bore the full weight of the wrath of God against sin, and as he hung on the cross, he took the punishment that was meant for us so that we could come home and we could be a part of God's family. That's how God feels about you. He was willing to sacrifice his very self through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could come home.
And then not only that, guys, he was willing to exchange all that he had so we could have all that he has. The father in the story loses all his dignity, goes and becomes unclean, touching his unclean son, protects his son from being stoned. And then when the son is there, he's like, hey, you get a robe, you get the best robe, you get my ring and you get sandals. What's important about that? A robe was a symbol of status. In other words, man, you're in the family. And listen, when Jesus hung on the cross, the father turned his back on his son. But you know what he never does to us when we come to Christ? He never turns his back on us. Jesus was disowned by the father so that we could be adopted children of the father and become a part of his family. The ring was a symbol of power and authority. Guess what, guys? The moment you give your life to Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and helps you overcome sin. You're not some weakling unable to overcome the sin that faces you. No, the power of God through Christ lives in you through His Spirit to lead you in victory over sin. And then the son gets sandals, and this was a symbol of dignity. In other words, your shame is removed. Guys, do you realize this? Listen, When Jesus went to the cross, he took every single label you place on yourself. He took every single sinful action you placed on yourself. He took every single ounce of shame, which was actually the first consequence of sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and he nailed it to the cross with him. In other words, when the son gets these sandals, it's a symbol of dignity. In other words, your shame is gone. Guys, God is not looking at you through the lens of your past. Your shame is gone. And then you know what else he does? He celebrates your return. Like earlier in Luke 15, Jesus actually says, hey, there's actually more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Zephaniah 3.17, it's not on the screen, but it says God rejoices over you with singing. Guys, he celebrates you. He delights in you. And I don't know what your church background is, but maybe you thought that God just kind of is like an old grumpy man that is just kind of curmudgeon towards you, that just kind of tolerates you. No, guys, God is a warm, loving, heavenly Father who gave up everything so that you could know Him, and He deeply desires you to be a part of His family. He's compassionate towards you. He's merciful towards you. He's gracious towards you. And he doesn't give you the back bench in his family. He makes you a son and daughter of him with no more shame. Now that's how God feels about you. But it does beg the question, well, what does God say about me? So go back to that little shell game with you and your first date or before your husband and wife or whatever when you all started dating. Like, the whole flirty feeling, like that was kind of fun, right? But you wanted some answers, right? Because actions speak louder than words, but nothing is clear like words. That's why in middle school we did this really dumb thing where it's like, do you like me? Check the box. Which I never did, by the way. I was never guilty of that. I, was never, I never had the guts enough to actually ask the question. <laughs> and then some people were like, maybe. And then I was like, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> Don't a lot of us come in here wondering, well, what does God actually say about me? 
Well, watch what the Father says about the Son in this story. The very next verse, he says, For this Son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Listen, he doesn't call him a prodigal. He doesn't call him a moron, even though both of those things were true. He doesn't place any other label on him other than this son of mine. This child's identity is not what he's done. It's not what he feels about himself. It's not his unworthiness. It's defined by what the father says. So here's where we end up with that, guys. My identity isn't what I've done or what I feel about myself. My identity is who the father says I am in Christ. And let me take it one step further, whether you're in the room or watching online. We live in a culture that likes to place labels on people and identify people by whatever label it is. But guys, in God's viewpoint, you're defined by one of two labels. You either belong to him or you don't. You're either his child or you're not. But the good news is God wants every single person to become his child. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's what God says about you. That's what God says who you are in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, what does that mean? Well, first off, watch this. Galatians, oh, excuse me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You say, what does that mean? That means the moment you repented of your sin, the moment you gave your life to Christ, your old self, who you were before Jesus, died. Which means every single label that was on you, whether you feel like you're unlovable, or whether you feel like you don't have what it takes, or whether you feel like you're a failure, or whether you feel like you're inadequate, this is what happens when you don't have fingernails, or you feel like you're unlikable. Those labels do not remain on you in Christ, guys. Because whoever you were before Christ, all those are gone. They are nailed to the cross. They are buried. And your life is now hidden in Christ. You say, what does that mean? That means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. And that has tremendous implications for your identity. So what does God say about his son? Well, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, this is right after Jesus is baptized. And in Jesus being baptized, he identifies himself with people. But, but listen to this. He hadn't done any miracles yet. He's been in obscurity for 30 years. He's not gone to the cross. He's not risen from the dead. He hasn't performed, so to speak. And watch what happens. Verse 16 in Matthew 3, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, which would have been the voice of the Father, said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So here's what happens when you're in Christ. God puts some new labels on you. He says, this is my son. Or this is my daughter. When you give your life to Christ, guys, you repent of your sin, you place your faith and trust in Jesus. The first label God puts on you is child of God. You're child of your heavenly father. You're not some 
stepchild just added to the family that's going to be neglected. No, you are a child of God. And what he says about his son, Jesus, he says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. The same thing God says about his son, since your life is hidden in Christ, are the same words he applies to you. This is my child who is loved and approved of. And listen, that's independent of your performance. Completely independent of your performance, guys. And that's important. You know why? Because we tend to think, especially in Southern Bible Belt culture, that the key to changing is I try harder or I work harder, I do some religious activity, I do more. Uh Uh-uh. The key to change, the key to making progress, the key to living the life that Jesus wants you to live is you understand who you are in Christ because we always live according to who we think we are. And in Christ, you're God's child. You're loved and approved of. And God also says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the word anyone there, guys. It does not matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how stubborn you've been or how skeptical you've been or how far you've run or how hard you've run. If anyone is in Christ, it says this, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. If you are in Christ, what God says about you is you're a new creation. You're a brand new creation. Listen, you are not a duct-taped version of you in Christ. You're not kind of sort of super glued together like our hospitality director's shoes this morning. (laughs) I like to pick on you. Or like my shoes used to be when I mowed grass, which I really tried to do, believe it or not. You're not super glued together. You're not duct taped together. I tried that with my shoes too. It didn't work. No, you're a brand spanking new version of you. That's who you are in Christ. So that leads us to is this, guys. I will celebrate, not conceal who I am in Christ. Celebrate and not conceal who I am in Christ. So let's think about this. Let's go back to the crush thing one more time. Which, by the way, I had a, well, you could, maybe it was a successful love life because I didn't date anybody until my wife. I don't know. But like my efforts in middle school and high school failed radically with girls. Maybe it's because I didn't make any efforts to start with. True story. But in a moment of confession, how many of y'all would just confess to the sin of vandalism that in middle school or high school, I don't even know if they have the desks like they used to, but inside the desk, you wrote down your initials in a heart with your crush's initials. Anybody else do that? Come on, folks, come on. I know more people did it than that. There's like one other guy who's being honest. Come on. So the rest of y'all were just bold and not shy. Okay, well, maybe we'll go with that. But I was shy because I was like, what if they don't like me and all that sort of stuff? Well, now I wear a wedding ring. A wedding ring. You know why? Because I want everybody to know I'm married. I celebrate the fact that I've got an awesome bride. Guys, the same thing is true in Christ. Like, we're not meant to conceal who we are in Christ. We celebrate it. So how do we celebrate it? Three ideas. You don't have to write them down. Well, uh, never mind. They won't be on screen, but I do want you to write them down. Okay? So three ideas. The first is baptism. Baptism is the first way we celebrate who we are in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with 
Christ. So, baptism is the first thing that happens after salvation. Baptism identifies you as a follower of Jesus. And it's the first way we celebrate who we are in Christ. And so the question might be, well, what if I was baptized and have since made a decision to follow Jesus? Well, then your next step is actually baptism. See, because a wedding ring means nothing if I'm not married, but man, once I'm married, it means something to me. Baptism, if you're baptized before Christ, man, you're just kind of a wet sinner. The other question is like, because I know some of us come from a faith tradition where you're baptized as a baby. It's like, well, if I do that, is that like repudiating the actions of my parents? And I would say no. Because what your parents did for you then as a baby was, was much more like kind of baby dedication. They were recognizing you belong to God and they were hoping in faith that you would follow Jesus one day. But if since you've made an adult decision to follow Jesus, then your next step is baptism. And that doesn't repudiate what your parents did. It just ratifies it. It just says to your parents, hey, mom and dad, that thing that you hoped would be true about me as an adult, man, it's true now. So if you've never been baptized, your next step is baptism. If you've never been baptized after making a decision to follow Christ, your next step is baptism. And we're doing baptism today. And you might say, but I did not come ready to be baptized. Well, we came ready for you to make that decision. And so in just a few moments when I pray, we've got some folks that are being baptized today. They're going to stand up and head out the back. If you need to be baptized, if that's your next step, then you need to do that. And we'll have some folks with you there to have a conversation and we'll help you make that happen. But baptism is the first way we step, the first way we celebrate our identity in Christ. The second is this, we gather. We gather. Galatians 3.28 says this, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, what does that mean, guys? It doesn't mean our distinctions get obliterated. It does mean that we're brought together and we're unified in spite of our differences in Christ. And the primary way we show that to the world is we gather together. Our gathering is a witness to the world and it's a reminder of who we are in Christ. That in Christ, just like people and God are separated, People and people are separated, but in the church, when we gather together, we show that, man, no matter what your background is, man, we're a family because of the finished work of Christ. That's why we gather. We like to say it this way, man, we're at our best together because together we display the work of Christ to the world and we're a witness to the world, which leads to the third way we celebrate, and that's we go. We go. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Guys, we like to say that the mission moves us beyond us. It gets us out of our comfort zone. It makes us go to our neighbors. It makes us go to our friends, go to our families. We invite people to church. We invite people to follow Jesus. We do that because it's our very purpose. And guys, when we go, it reminds us that the reason we're in the family to start with, somebody invited us in. Somebody invited me in in my brokenness. Somebody invited me in in my shame. Somebody invited me in in my messiness. And guess what? God brought me into this family so I could go and do the same thing for somebody else. God brought me into this family, yes, so I could live for him, yes, so I could love all people, but also so I could lead other people to do, do the exact same thing. It's our purpose as the family of God. 
And guys, when we do that, as we celebrate our identity in Christ, as we keep our identity in Christ front and center, that changes our lives because we will always live according to who we think we are. And if we know who we are in Christ, then we will live as Christ wants us to live.